Turn, please, to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. If you have an outline, you can see that it says seven aspects of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a big subject. We're only going to deal with one small part of it. But it's a great subject. The Holy Spirit, the one who indwells believers, the one who regenerates our hearts, the one who causes us to look to Christ and trust in him. That's what we're talking about this morning. And so from from chapter 14 through 17 are some of the most intimate passages of Scripture where the Lord Jesus Christ is giving final instructions to his disciples. He's hours away from Gethsemane and the cross. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, chapter 17, he's almost there. Well, our great Savior doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us unprotected. He promised to never leave us or forsake us, and he certainly doesn't leave us or forsake us. And that's what the chapters are about. He's giving them final instructions before he dies, buried, and raises again. And then a few more words until he ascends into heaven 40 days later. And then about 10 days after that, Pentecost comes. So this is what we're talking about. And the Holy Spirit coming in power. The Holy Spirit was not going to come in New Testament, New Covenant fullness until Christ departed. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we know there can be no regeneration. Did the Old Testament saints have the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is... Uh, the godly remnant did. There were many Israelites who were nothing but idolaters. There were other Israelites who would uh, worship the most popular deity of the moment, be it Baal or Moloch or even Jehovah. Well, there were other Israelites who had a form of godliness. They were circumcised. They gave outward obedience to the Mosaic law. They claimed to be the people of God. They even claimed uh, our God as their God, yet denied the power thereof. And that still happens today. There are those that would claim to be Christians, but uh, deny the power thereof. And so these did not have the Holy Spirit, but others who lived by faith, who trusted in the Lord, who looked to him when very few did, like the 7,000 faithful ones in Elisha's day, or Elijah's day, sorry. Yes, they had the Holy Spirit They knew the work of regeneration. They knew the truth of faith alone. They didn't obey perfectly. Neither do we. But the Holy Spirit would come in greater power at Pentecost. And Christ's going and the Spirit's coming is repeated often in these chapters. And we're just looking at a segment of it, like I said. And the reason the disciples needed not to be overly sorrowful, and they were sorrowful. Their master was going away. He was going to leave them. Their hearts were broken to think about that, and they couldn't understand why. The Old Testament scripture said Messiah was coming. The Old Testament scripture said Messiah would be the king. Messiah would reign. And now he's going to leave? Peter so much said, no, Lord, that, that can't possibly be true. And the Lord said, get behind me, Satan. You know, to Peter. Well, Peter didn't know what he was saying. He took the rebuke. Well, when we're wrong, we have to take the rebuke. The Holy Spirit would come in greater power at Pentecost. And uh, the reason the disciples needed not be over sorrowful 
was because their mourning would turn into joy. And we have those same privileges by the Holy Spirit. How could the Lord's leaving be good news? It seemed like the worst news. It seemed like no good could come from it. But you know, there were reasons. His going was going to the cross and going to the ground, going to his father, where he now takes up uh, the, the rule of all nations. And every eye and everyone actually can come under the sound of the gospel. It's not some tiny little nation, but it's a worldwide gospel. Christ told him that. I mentioned it in the 10 o'clock hour. Christ told him that, you know, right before he left. You know, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And they still didn't fully understand that this gospel was not going to be just for a nation, but it was going to be for the world. And his going meant, you know, closer communion with us through his spirit. Now, I want you to think about this. His ascension was his crowning as king, and he's in heaven at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning, making intercession for us. But when Christ was on earth, and thank the Lord for the gospels, the Old Testament tells us that Christ is coming, and it does it by the Spirit who, who inspired the words. And then the Gospels tell us about how he lived his life and what he did during this three-year ministry that he had on earth. And his disciples were close to him, and they loved him, and they followed him. And then, you know, by Sabbath, by Sabbath, they'd go into the various synagogues. Day by day, they'd hear the preaching. But you know, while he was on earth, Christ was in one place at one time. The, the place, the synagogue that he happened to go to was where he was. Okay. But now, whenever his people meet, wherever they happen to be around the world, Christ has promised that he would meet with us. He's with us. He's with us this morning. He's with us by his Holy Spirit, you know. And so we can be glad and we can rejoice and we can give thanks to God for his grace. And we can do it 24-7, not just when we assemble together. When we assemble together, it's a great time. But 24-7, we can go before the throne of grace. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a priest. We can go to the throne of grace ourselves. Lying in bed, you can go to the throne of grace yourself and let your heart, let your heart pour out to him to meet your needs and believe that he will. So the answer to how Christ's departure could be good news is found in the very nature of Christ's kingdom and the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're not going to read them all. It's just too much. But verses, it's on your outline, verses 15, or chapter 15, verses 26 through 16, 7, speak of the work of the Holy Spirit in believers. We won't be touching on that today, but it's important. And then Christ breaks and goes from verses 8 through 11 of chapter 16 to speak of the Holy Spirit's work in the world. We'll read those verses, but not say much about them for time. And then we'll focus in on 16, 12 through 15, which speak of the Holy Spirit's work in a believer's heart that we as New, Christian, New Testament Christians enjoy as the Spirit speaks to us through the completed canon of Scripture. 
And so the outline basically can be seen. Seven aspects of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in these verses. He acts as the spirit of truth. He guides believers into all truth. He does not speak of himself. He does speak of what he's heard. He would show believers things to come. He would glorify Christ. He would take the things of Christ and show them to his people. So with that being said and done, let's look to the scriptures. Chapter 16 of John, verse number 7 is where we'll start. Chapter 16, verse number 7. We're going back to verse 6 to set the context. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he's come, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Which, by the way, is the greatest sin. There are so many sins that we can focus on in this world, and there's some terrible atrocities. There are sins that are, are being committed in our day that are so bad. They were the very sins that um, caused uh, the land of Canaan to vomit out its inhabitants. Okay, But the greatest sin of all is unbelief. The greatest sin of all is not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Of course, Satan was defeated once and for all at the cross. Oh, he's still alive, yeah. But he's not alive and well. He's alive on life support, maybe. You could put it that way, you know. He's, uh, he's still roaring lion, but... Um, Roaring lions, well, they really aren't as dangerous as the lions that get you from behind, you know. So be careful. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now that's really insightful to this whole situation. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Okay, and there, where, would, where would he finally tell them the things that they cannot bear? I have many things to say to you. But right now your ears are stopped up. You don't fully understand what's going on. Sorrow has come into your heart. Where would we know? It'd be the rest of Scripture, right? The rest of the New Testament that would be inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by godly men as the Holy Spirit moved them along and becomes our rule of faith and practice. Okay. The entire Bible is our rule of faith and practice, but some of those things, like where I've been reading in my devotions, um, have been done away with. We don't go to a tabernacle or a temple and offer sacrifices anymore. We have spiritual sacrifices because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are things that are different between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And we'll be looking at those things as, as a time goes on here. But uh, they were not ready yet. When would they be ready? Well, they'd be more ready once Christ died and rose again. And they'd be more ready once they heard from him as the risen Lord. But they would be most ready when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And all of a sudden you can see, or you can read it for yourself, Peter 
saying things that he probably never imagined that he would say because the Holy Spirit had come and empowered him. And it's a powerful message that's found in Acts chapter 2. And from that point on, we hear new covenant preaching, which always revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we have here. Now, we take these things one by one. Let me read the whole passage to you, 12 through 15. <coughs> 12, and, um, and then we'll take them one by one. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you into all truth, for he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you'll not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to my Father. Profound words, for sure. Well, verse 12, and the first part of of 13, actually verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come. What we see is the essential unity of the Son and the Spirit in the Trinity. Christ had many things to tell him. He would continue to tell them those things through the Spirit, and that's how we find out those things too, those things that were still to come. The close connection between Christ and the Spirit. The Spirit is another paraclete Turn to John 14, keep your finger here, but John chapter 14, where he begins to speak about the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16, and I will pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That's another paraclete, that's another comforter, it's uh, another even advocate, some have uh, translated the word that way. And another is an important word here. You can, you can look it up in a, a dictionary and you'll find that Greek is interesting. Greek is not English. Greek does things a little different than English does. And uh, we have the word another. And whenever the word alas is translated, it's translated another. And there's another word that uh, is in the Greek called heteros. Heteros also is always translated another. And rightfully so. I think uh, every translation would do that. And, and properly they should. But there is a distinction between them. There's an old saying, amongst those that know Greek, uh, that uh, every, every alas, every another, that's the big category, includes the heteros too. Okay. But what really will help you to understand it more is that another is another of the same kind. It's another of the same kind. I'll send you another helper. Another of the same kind as me. And a heteros, the reason heteros is used, and you see it in, in some of our English words, you know. Uh, heteros, use that as a, a prefix of some English words. And you'll know it's another, but it's another of a different kind. It's not the same, okay. It's another of a different kind. Okay. The Holy Spirit is another of the same kind. Why? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity. And so he's another of the same kind. Not a heteros comforter, but another comforter. Another comforter of 
like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the spirit of truth. Who's the way, the truth, and the life? He's the spirit of truth. Christ is the truth. And we can rightly say the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. And he's even called that elsewhere. And as the spirit of truth, he's uniquely qualified to be a perfect witness for Christ because there's no falsehood in him at all. Something else is suggested by this title. Look at John 17, 17. We could pull many verses out, just picking a few, and you can just read this entire passage on your own, chapters 14 through 17, uh, powerful, powerful words, the last words of Christ as he's going to the cross. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He's talking to his father, and he's talking to his father through the Holy Spirit, and he's asking that spirit of truth to actually be the one to sanctify them as they follow the word of God written. Remember, none of the disciples had the book of Romans. None of the disciples had the book of Galatians. None of the disciples had the book of Philippians. None of the disciples had any of the rest of the New Testament. They were living the Gospels. And of course, the Gospels are, are very, very compacted versions of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He even says that if all were written that the Lord Jesus Christ said and did, the world itself could not contain the books. Okay, So it's very compacted, but they were living that. But they were going to live something even better. They're going to live by the Spirit. They're going to be directed by the Spirit. They're going to be taught by the Spirit. Some of them would even write by the Spirit. Inspired Scripture. The scriptures are God-breathed. Tells us that in 2 Timothy 3.16. The scriptures are to be our ultimate authority. And we worship God as we are directed to do in the Bible. Second of all, he guides believers into all truth. So he's the spirit of truth. And he guides believers into all truth. You know, there's at least three classes of people that need to be guided. The blind. The blind need to be guided. Or those that are too weak to be able to walk by themselves and help themselves. Or those that are journeying through an unknown country. So there's at least three categories of people that need to be guided. And each of those apply to us as Christians. Once we were blind, but he opened our eyes to the truth by the power of the Spirit in the work of regeneration. And then, second of all, as babes in Christ, he teaches us how to walk and promises to never leave us alone to ourselves because if he ever left us, we would surely fall. We could not stand. We cannot stand on our own. We need to look to him. People say the Bible and religion's a crutch. It's not a crutch. It's the most important thing in the world. You know, you know, you can throw a crutch away and do a few stumbling steps, you know, but um, no, it's not a crutch. It's the power of God, life from the dead, you know. And then, third of all, like I said, strangers that don't know their way. 
and aren't quite sure how to do it and don't have their handy cell phone with them so they can actually map out their, their route, right? <laughs> Isn't that something how things have really changed in such a short period of time? I remember working really hard on maps and trying to figure out where I'm going on the map and everything. And now we just, um, most of us just open an app and look at our cell phone and, and s- most often find our way there. <laughs> okay. But um, we're strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land. We're being guided through this foreign land that we're living in right now by the Holy Spirit. Once this world was our home, once this world was all that we had, and and when we died, it was tragic because the only thing we had was gone. Now when a Christian dies, goes to be with the Lord, you know? And so we can shed tears when a Christian passes because we miss them and we long to see them again. And we can do that and there's nothing wrong with that. You know? But we don't sorrow as those that have no hope because we realize that they have gone to be with the Lord. And if you know Christ, so will you. One day, so will you. Either the Lord will return and take us to himself or we'll go to him. Once this world was our home, we were comfortable in it. We lived in it. We reveled in it. We were glad to be in it. We didn't want it any other way, and we wished it would never end. Well, now we're strangers. We're pilgrims. And I've seen it so many times. I've seen it so many times, and I saw it again just this month. You know, um, our dear Jeannie went to be with the Lord. But about a year and a half ago, the way she talked changed. We sold her condo. That was a big step for her. She always wanted to go home. And she was talking about Fontana, you know. But she knew she wasn't going to Fontana. About a year and a half ago, two years ago, I can't remember the exact time frame, she started saying, I want to go home. I'm ready to go home. And of course, she meant with the Lord. Attitude changed what the Lord does, you know. Now here's a question. We're, we're foreigners. Let's face it. We're foreigners in this world. This world is not our home. We, were, we like Abraham, are looking for a better country. Abraham had a promise of land. This land was going to belong to him and his descendants. Uh, this nation that we call Israel uh, that uh, was there. Of course they, they lost it for reasons that we'll talk about. But, um, you know, that was the promise But he looked beyond that promise. Abraham looked for a better country. He looked for the country that if you're a Christian, you're heading towards too. Now, here's just a practical question. He guides us into all truth. If the Spirit guides believers into all truth, why are there so many divisions in Christianity? Okay. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job as a pastor if I didn't address a question like that, that either you are thinking about or now you're thinking about it. (laughs) Well, it fundamentally misunderstands what Christ is saying. It doesn't say the Spirit will guide each individual believer infallibly into all truths so it would never be wrong about anything. It doesn't mean that we can never err. Yeah. 
what we infallibly know about God is revealed in the Word of God and has been infallibly inspired by the Spirit. And the problem comes in when we interpret and misinterpret. And the promise is not that we will interpret the Bible perfectly. The promise is we'll have a perfect word to interpret. And we do. And that's why we have to follow the Spirit. And we have to prayerfully read our Bibles. We need to prayerfully listen to the preaching of the Word. Otherwise, we'll be distracted. Otherwise, we'll go off into tangents. The Geneva, Bible, the Geneva Study Bible, that's from the Ligonier Ministries, says this as a footnote. This refers to truth about God, not temporal knowledge of every kind. The Spirit guided the New Testament writers who prepared the new written revelation that would take its place beside the Old Testament scriptures. Okay. So he will guide us into all truth. He guided the hands of the writers. I don't know how he did it. I know it's God breathed. That's what I know. You know, plenary inspiration. You know, it's not dictation even. He uses their personalities. I don't know how he did it. But we need to be students of the word because the word is truth. And the Holy Spirit has promised to guide us into truth. And we look to him. And do you notice what it also says in verse 13? Verse 13 is packed uh, here in chapter 16. Verse 13 is packed. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. We're going to do the three and four together. He'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So he doesn't speak on his own authority, but he does speak what he's heard. Now that can sound confusing, and you can sometimes think, well, the Spirit isn't as, as great as the Father or the Son. And you'd be absolutely wrong. For the Spirit is just as much God as the Father or the Son. But we're talking about on his own authority. We're talking about intertrinitarian truth coming together. The Holy Spirit did not come for the purpose of glorifying himself. In fact, the entire discourse from chapters 14 through 16 teach the truth that the Holy Spirit's constant work and goal in this new covenant age is to point us to God's revealed Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament did that too. Pointed to Christ in symbols and in signs. But in the New Testament, Christ is openly set before us and displayed. Did you notice a difference? I mean, boy, that's not to criticize the Old Testament. The Old Testament's two-thirds of the Bible. The New Testament's a third of the Bible. So not to criticize. But now... Whereas the Old Testament talked in signs and symbols and visions primarily. And this is the way basically we learned. And God was, as the Bible says, taking them by the hand and leading them like they were little children. Now we're supposed to be adults. And we're supposed to be following the Lord and following what he said. And not ignoring these things. You know, it is much, much worse to deny Christ as he's been plainly revealed than it was to, to follow after the fancies 
that happened in the Old Testament. And you see what happened to those that followed the fancies of the Old Testament and worshipped the supposed gods around them. No, his goal is to point us to Christ because that's who we need. And it isn't true that he never speaks about himself. That's not what's being said here. The Holy Spirit often speaks about himself. In fact, he inspired the word of God that tells us about himself. And, and if he didn't, we couldn't know the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who inspired scripture, teaches us what we need to know about the triune Godhead. But we're talking about authority. My doctrine's not mine, but his who sent me. That's what Christ said. My doctrine's not mine, but his who sent me. Okay, who sent him? The Father. So the Father sent him. He said, well, you could ask, you mean you don't even believe your own doctrine? You know, what, what in the world? No, that's not what it means. It means that he's not speaking from his own authority. At other times, Christ could say this, you know, and he could talk about my doctrine. And you see that also in the scriptures too. And it's the same with us. Let me just apply it here. It's the same with us. We can talk about the faith of a Christian. Why do you have faith? It's because it's been given to you. You didn't manufacture it. But you can also say, my faith. I have faith. I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can say that. Whatever he hears, he'll speak. And Christ said the same thing about himself. Look at verse, chapter 15, verse 15. Christ said the same thing about himself. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Now here's something that really I, I think you know it. If you don't know it, you're going to be confused as you read the Bible. So this passage, these passages, this idea, helps us understand the Trinity. Um, I'll just quote a theologian, John Brown, then I'll try to make it just a little simpler. But the theologian John Brown said, Essentially, the Spirit and the Son are equal to the Father, for they are one with the Father. But here's a word that kind of throws people economically. You think of economics, you think of the stock market, you think of, you know, no. Economically is a theological term that, that uh, means something very different. The Father is greater than the Son and the Spirit, for he sends them. My Father who sent me is greater than I. Okay. The Father is greater than the Son and the Spirit, for he sends them. Not essentially. Essentially, they are the same. But there is that kind of economic stepladder that we're talking about. And the Son is greater than the Spirit, for he sends him. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All three are God. Do you know what the unpardonable sin is? It's blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God. You know? But we do need to understand the way they work. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit. And then Christ and the Father send the Spirit. And then the Spirit speaks of Christ. And in a real simple nutshell, although we've seen throughout uh, the Old Testament 
that Christ is there. And when we did our series on the minor prophets, one of the things we looked for was Christ in the minor prophets. We looked for the new covenant in the minor prophets. We found those things to be there, along with the other things that were there directed to Israel. If we don't understand the hierarchy that we're talking about in an economic sense, not in an essential sense, then we will err greatly. And some have done that to the point that they don't believe the Trinity. They just believe in oneness. They believe in great error. No, the Trinity is true, and the Holy Spirit is who we deal with, essentially. It's the Holy Spirit that moves our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us and instructs us, and uh, we need to listen to the Spirit. And he'll show us things to come. He'll tell you things to come. That's the end of verse 13 there. He'll tell you things to come. You know, the Lord declared the Spirit would recall to the apostles the past. He'll bring all these things to your remembrance. So the Spirit would recall the past things to them. And we learn the Spirit would testify of the present glory of Christ. Well, look at 1420. I'll need to prove that the Spirit will... I quoted it, but I'll let you see it in the Scriptures. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... There's a Trinitarian passage for you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The past... 1526, look there, 1526. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. Verse 26, he will testify of me. The Spirit testifies of the present glory of Christ. And then there's a promise of things to come. 16, verse 13. He will show you things to come. Now, as I said, the fact of the death of Christ, which was only hours away, was not fully understood by the disciples. They didn't understand the death and resurrection. It's in the Old Testament, but they didn't understand it. Their eyes weren't opened yet. Or the full coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen there. Christ's ascension into heaven, well, they found out when he ascended, <laughs> you know. So they were learning, and we have to learn. We have to grow. Don't ever be discouraged because of what you don't know. Guess what you do? You start learning and praying and seeking today. That's what you do. Now, you know, it's an amazing thing to watch babies grow. They say that the first five years, that child will learn more in that five-year period of time than they'll learn in the rest of their life. And you think about what they learn in the first five years, and it really kind of proves to be true. You know, they, they learn to be a human being. They go from a, a little crying baby, you know, that lets you know what he needs, to a person that can actually carry on a conversation with you, can think, begin to act independently. They're not there yet. 
but they've learned a tremendous amount. And then we kind of slow down, don't we? We we go to first grade, and we go to second grade, and okay, we just do that. And then once we've known it all, we graduate high school, right? (laughs) No, no, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to learn. But you know what? God is gracious to baby Christians. He teaches them so much in such a short period of time because they need it. They need it. They need him. And so it's an amazing thing to see God transform the life of a person, which he does by his grace, which he does by his spirit. The disciples, they they were kind of lost as to what was happening. But 10 days after Christ's ascension, they weren't lost anymore. Peter, preaching the gospel as well as the gospel has ever been preached by anyone. How did he learn that? Well, he didn't go to rabbinical school to learn it. And he did learn a lot more than he thought he learned during the ministry of Christ. But the Spirit put it all together and was his teacher. We know. There's another thing they wouldn't have known, and it took a while to learn it. The gospel would go to the Gentiles. Christ told him, told him more than once. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they thought, yep, we're going to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. (laughs) Well, that's a good starting place. But that's not where the ending place is. Go into all the world, you know. So they didn't understand that. They came to know it. They didn't understand, nor did they know, nor had it been revealed yet, that there was one who wasn't of their number. Who was a Pharisee. Who was a murderer. He would take responsibility for the death of Stephen as they laid their cloaks at his feet and stoned him to death. He always took responsibility for that. Little did they know that this persecutor would become the doctor of the church, the great Apostle Paul, who wrote basically the bulk of the New Testament once we get past the Gospels. And no doubt, as they saw him ascend to heaven, and the angel said to him, this same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. I don't think they, um, for a moment, thought 2,000 years later, the gospel would still be preached and people would still be saved around the world. But that was God's plan. That was God's purpose. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. But when somebody tells you they know when he's coming, just turn away and do something more profitable, okay? Uh, It's kind of funny, the books that are written that tell you all the signs of of the Lord's coming. Um, I saw one. There was a big, it was a big, big, I won't even tell the name of it. Well, I will. It was the four blood moons, you know. The four blood moons that were going to prove that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming just within a few months, you know. The blood moons were going to prove it. And um, I don't know what they sold that book for, but I saw a bunch of them in a used bookstore, like the 99-cent store, and they were selling for 99 cents, and uh, they weren't worth that, you know. So, yeah, let us, let's be very, very careful. We don't know. That's the point. You know, does the Lord Jesus Christ know when he's coming? 
Uh, I believe the answer is yes, that he does know now, you know. But in humanity, no. He says, I, I don't even know. Because that wasn't knowledge that was important for him as a human being on this earth to share. Okay. But he knows. He knows that he's coming. And he's waiting to come. And the book of Revelation tells us very clearly that he is coming again and all the signs that uh, are going to happen and are happening. These signs happen and they happen and happen. Wars and rumors of wars. Well, I don't know in my lifetime that I've ever known of a time when there was no war. You know? And I don't think there's ever going to be a time when there is no war. I just praise God when we're not involved in it. That's good. Selfishly speaking, that's good when we're not involved in a war. But pray for those terrible, terrible situations like is happening uh, around the world. But the one that gets the attention, of course, is the, the, the Russian invasion. So pray for those people. They're suffering tremendously. Okay. And may the Lord use that to bring some souls to himself. Well, what does this say in 1614? He will glorify me. Now, that's the key thought in the whole passage. This is what the Spirit always does. This is what the Spirit wants to do. This is his chief delight. Arthur Pink, let me quote Arthur Pink. Almost always worthy of being quoted. It's a notable fact, said Arthur Pink, that nowhere in the epistles has the Holy Spirit told us anything about the Father which had not been previously revealed in and by the Lord Jesus. You got that? He tells us many things about the Father in the Old Testament. And he tells us many things about the Lord Jesus in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, the Father. He tells us many things about the Father in the Old Testament. Many things in the Gospels about the Father that came from the lips of the Lord Jesus. But, Arthur Pink goes on to say, he's told us many things about the Son which Jesus did not utter in the days of his humiliation. We've seen him more clearly than if we were walking with him on the earth. Sometimes people say, I wish I could have been back there during the ministry of Christ and, and seen him. You can see him more clearly by the Holy Spirit than those that walked with him on that day. Jesus Christ is God. The glory he has is as the Son of God. The glory he has is of God himself. And, and listen to this scripture. You don't need to turn there for time because we're just about finished here. But 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that's worthy of a sermon all by itself. And I preached on that passage before. <laughs> but the same God who made the universe and everything in it is the same God who has shined in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus Christ as God. The same God who said, let there be light has now become the light of the world through Christ. John 1.14 the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So you might remember we looked back at um, the fact that um, the Holy Spirit, well, it's in verse 7, you know, um, verse 8. When he's come, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me. This is Christ talking. The world is busily engaged in the work of rejecting Christ and persecuting his church or ignoring him altogether. But the Holy Spirit, through the word of God written and the word of God preached and the word of God read, glorifies Christ. The Spirit directs and guides Christians to the truth about Jesus and reveals him to be who he is, the Son of God and the only Savior of sinners. Whatever you know about theology, whatever you know about philosophy, whatever you know about religion, unless you know Jesus Christ, you do not know the truth. And we could talk about politics and might find that we disagree on things. We could talk theology and even find that we might uh, differ on some fine points of theology. We could disagree about a thousand things, we really could, and still ought to maintain that bond of friendship and unity because the one thing that binds every Christian to every other Christian is the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration showing us Jesus Christ is Lord. Every true Christian knows the Lord. And that was promised in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 31, they also know me. From the least of them to the greatest. But that would be another sermon on another day. <laughs> and last of all, he'll take the things of Christ and show them unto his people. He'll take the things of Christ and show them to his people. He'll glorify me, verse 14, for he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, Christ says. Therefore I said that he, the Spirit, will take of mine and declare it to you. You know, there's important knowledge and unimportant knowledge. I've used the illustration before, but when I was uh, a youngster in eighth grade, the Detroit Tigers won the World Series. And to me, that was one of the most exciting things that ever happened. And I knew their lineup. I could tell you what their lineup was, and I could tell you what their batting averages were. I could tell you that, you know. I don't think I could do that right now, <laughs> standing here, because it's been so long since I've thought about it. And I, I certainly couldn't tell you about uh, modern-day Detroit Tigers who just aren't very good, to tell you the truth. But you know what that was? That was knowledge. But it was really useless knowledge. It was useless knowledge. What, what good was that going to do, really, in the grand scheme of things? Entertainment? Okay. There's a place for entertainment. There's a place for enjoyment and relaxation, things like that. Okay, so there's a little bit of profit, just like the Apostle Paul says that uh, exercise, physical exercise profits a little. It does. There's a little bit of profit there. But the Holy Spirit teaches us the most important things, the things of God, the things of Christ, the things that will make a difference in your life and in my life today. 
and the things that will make a difference for all eternity. I'll close just by asking you a couple questions. Are you a student of the word? It's not easy to be a student of the word, but are you a student of the word? How do you hope to know more about Christ unless you listen and unless you study? And are you living for Christ? Are you following what the spirit would have you to do? Are you doing that? How are you going to know what the spirit would have you to do unless you seek him? And pray. And, and know the word. Because there's a lot of, I've had a lot of people in my office tell me that the Holy Spirit told them to do something. And I surely could tell them, no, he didn't. Because the Bible says just the opposite. Okay, you got to know the Bible. Not just what you feel. What you feel isn't necessarily the Holy Spirit. But it can be. The Spirit directs our steps. He promised that he would do that. Are you a student of the word? Are you living for Christ? Do you know the claims he has on your life? And since you know that God is all powerful, how do you dare go against him? And how do you dare to live for yourself? He alone is the perfect God-man. He alone fulfilled the law for us so we would never be condemned. And if you know him and you truly know him, you know him because the Spirit opened your heart and the Spirit will direct your steps. You know him by faith and you must live by the faith given to you by the only begotten Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we tackled a, a large subject today and tried to make it as simple as we could but you're the infinite God. We'll spend all of eternity marveling at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, realizing that you're one in three persons and learning more about you and never coming to the end of such knowledge for you are infinite and we'll always be finite. So we'll always be marveling more and more and more. If heaven were Disneyland, it might be fun for a year, but it would be boring pretty quick. But Lord, we'll never cease to marvel. We'll never cease to marvel at you because you are the infinite God. Father, help us to marvel while we're on this earth. Not just wait for heaven, but help us to marvel now. Help us to worship now. Help us to obey now. Help us to learn and grow now. Help us to look to you and guide our feet and guide our steps. And may Jesus Christ receive for himself all the glory by the power of the Spirit. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you hear our prayers because Jesus Christ is there interceding for us. And the Holy Spirit is helping us even to pray and making our prayers right before Jesus so our Lord and Master and Intercessor can take them to the Father. And there's maybe the best earthly example we can see of how this works. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all absolutely equal, but each of them doing what they do for us. And we thank you for that. May Jesus Christ be praised. In his name we pray. Amen.